I think we need to pray before we get started. Everybody seems a little tired. <laughs> so let's pray. And pray that you're not tired anymore. God, thank you so much for this great day you've given to us. I just pray, dear God, that we would set aside everything that happened last week, that we'll put aside everything that's supposed to happen this week, and that our mind would focus on the now. Lord God, your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us, individually and as a body. And Father, we would be moved by your word. We'd be inspired by your word. We'd be changed by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Well, this week as we continue our series, Conversations with a Happy Heathen, I want to I start off where we left off last week. Which, as nice as it sounds, is lost, lost, lost. Every time there is some jerk religious guy, no offense, who proclaims homosexuality sinful and uses the promises of heaven and hell to control people and their bank accounts. Well, first, uh, this Wednesday, starting at 6.30, we have our Wednesday night group. I'm going to be responding to her comment about homosexuality. So we'll do that on Wednesday night. This morning, I want to discuss how can we respond when people make these kinds of comments that say that churches and religious jerks, or whoever, religious people, leaders, are just looking to get to your money. They want, they want to get your money. With the, so what, what, we've got to talk about what the Bible actually says about money. Because what she's saying is that religious people use the Bible, basically, heaven and hell, the, the fear of heaven and the, the, joy of he, uh, the joy of heaven and the fear of hell to get to your wallet. So how do, how do you respond when people make those types of comments? Now, I, I, I want you to realize that there are those within the church, religious leaders, that do not handle uh, money very well. When it comes to how they talk about it and the way they use the Bible, we have to admit up front that uh, we have some problems there. In some cases, Jim Baker comes to mind back in the 1980s. Now, I'll admit that up front. But the question we need to look at this morning is uh, we need to really look into the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say about giving? That's what we have to understand. You can get lost out here with what this guy does and what that guy does and this woman says and what that man says. But what does the Bible actually teach about giving? Because in the end, it may not, it may not be that your issue is with maybe even you, and you wouldn't put it in the, some jerk religious guy. But your, your issue may not be with the jerk religious guy. At the end of the day, your, your issue may be with Jesus Christ himself. That's what I want to separate. What does the Bible, what does Jesus teach about giving as opposed to what we want to kind of look at on, on TV and other people that we see? And for most of those who are Christians here, it, it's important. If you don't understand this, how are, if you don't understand this topic, how are you going to be able to help people like Anne-Marie, for example, understand God's perspective when it comes to giving? Because you're going to run into this comment. You're going to run into the questions concerning money. So you need to understand it. It's one of those things, well, I don't really ask that question. Well, you know, a lot of your friends do. A lot of people around you ask that question. We need to be ready to answer that question. We need to take this, this whole giving thought process, this whole money idea, away as a roadblock to those who are true seekers. There are a lot of people who are truly seeking after God, and we need to be able to answer their questions about this topic. So we take that out of the way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, it says this, 
And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Listen, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do we and they did and they did not do as we expected, but they they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to complete completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. There is so much to be gained individually and socially and emotionally and spiritually when it comes to sacrificial giving. I would say that it is truly impossible to grow spiritually unless you have a sacrificial heart. You can get to a certain point spiritually, but you truly cannot grow in your spiritual walk unless you truly have a sacrificial heart. The point that Jesus was making over and over and over again in the Bible is that there is a direct connection between your money and your heart. That's what he's saying. That's why he talks about it so much. Because he said there's, there's a connection there. You cannot grow spiritually unless you understand that connection, unless you get, that, you get a grip on that area of your life. How we spend our money indicates what we really love, what really matters to us, and whether or not we're going to acknowledge the one who gave us everything that we have. We need to understand this part of our lives. And anyone who struggles with the idea of giving a percentage to God is certainly going to struggle with the idea that God owns everything that you have and everything that you are. I mean, if you struggle with the idea of some kind of percentage, you know, Old Testament 10%, New Testament doesn't give a percentage. But if you struggle with that area, I can guarantee you're going to struggle with the idea that God, God is responsible and God owns all that we have and all that we are. Everything belongs to him. The Bible clearly tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. So ultimately, we should not give until it causes us pain. Okay, come with me on this little trip I'm taking, all right? We shouldn't give until it causes us pain. We should give until it causes us laughter and excitement, okay? That's where I want you to come with me this morning. When it, I, I want to take you on a journey to laughter and excitement about the idea of giving to God. How's that, all right? Everybody's just kind of sitting there straight-faced, all right? No, it's going to be I'm telling you, this is going to be an exciting journey. This is where I want you to go with me because this is what the Bible says. It says give, you know, God wants, he wants a joyful giver. So if, he want, if God is saying that he, that's what he wants to see, joyful givers, then it's not give until you're in pain. It's, it caused you pain. It's, it should be give until it causes you to be so excited and just laughing and jolly and fired up about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, listen to this, not reluctantly or under compulsion, which really addresses uh, the use, that this whole idea of being pressured into giving something. 
No one should ever be pressured into giving or, or manipulated into giving anything. It says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you give reluctantly or under compulsion, it makes no difference to God. It, it, that's, not what God that's not what God's concerned about. He's concerned about the heart. So it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, you should be running over to these boxes at the end of the service, okay, with your, and just like, woohoo! thank God he stopped preaching, now I can give. This is what I'm waiting for, baby. Man, alive, I'm telling you, I, every Sunday, it's like, you should be like pushing each other to get over there, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, come on, you know, get out of the way. It should be a line like King's Island, people trying to cut line, you know what I mean, to offer to give. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There are a lot of things that I enjoy in life, a lot of things. I like going fishing with Joshua. I, I, like, I like, uh, like going on dream drives with Dad. We go around and we, we explore. We waste more money on gas exploring all these little side roads all around here in Indiana and in Kentucky and everything. We love to do those kinds of things. I like, to, I like to hang out with my family. I like to garden. I like to landscape. These are things that get me excited. Go outside and do some landscaping. I think as a pastor, landscaping is fun because you actually, you actually start some project and then it's finished and it's right in front of you. As a pastor, when you're dealing with people, sometimes the completion of the project doesn't happen for 20 or 30 years. So you don't see everything that you start completed. And I think that's why I like landscaping and gardening. That excites me. Uh, I love going to mo- I like going to the movies, you know what I mean? Different movies. I just, it's like one of those things you just sit down and enjoy sitting in front of a good movie. Uh, definitely love hanging out with my family. Um, love serving, absolutely love to serve people, love to get involved in missions opportunities and serve people and those kinds of things. I love those things. And, and, and I could go on and on and on about all the things that get me excited and get me all fired up. Love to do those things. And as I'm talking about all the things that I love to do, maybe your mind was kind of drifting and dreaming a little bit about the things, daydream about what you like to do, what you love to do, some of the things that are exciting to you. Well, my goal this morning is to put something else on your list that really gets you excited, that motivates you, okay? It's something that you think, oh, I just love, I just like to do this, I like to do that, and you know what I'm talking about. This is what I want to interject in your, your I like to do list, and that is giving, giving. Because, listen, if you're hung up on this concept of giving, if you're seriously sitting here this morning and you're like really hung up on giving, how will you be able to help ever help others like Anne-Marie see it from God's perspective? If you're hung up on it, if we as Christians are hung up on it, how are we going to answer the question of the other person who says, oh, you know, those churches, all they want is your money. And all they want is all these guys, all they on TV, all they want is your money. Now, before I move on, let me say this with absolute certainty. I am not passing the plate around at the end of the service, okay? We are not going to, I'm not going to, there's no big ask coming. There's no big plea at the end. I get you all teary and everything, and I say, you know what? Let's just follow through. Dig deep, brothers. You know what I mean? It's none of that going to come. It's not coming, okay? So, so I want you to listen. I want you to listen with your heart and your head, but with your heart and not your emotions. If you're all thought, oh, see, now he's going to lead us into this thing, and he's going to ask us for money. It's not happening. So relax and enjoy. Just listen with your heart. Listen to God's word from your heart. 
See, the, try to understand the truth. What does God's word say about giving? There's more to it than what the world says. Oh, those people are just after your money. There's so much more to it than that. So I want you to kind of take, go on this journey with me into excitement about giving, about what we can do with the resources that we have. You know, I was talking to my daughter Jennifer about maybe a few months ago, and she started talking. She just got married to Drew. They're, they're still newlyweds. And, uh, and so she was talking about her, their, first tithe, their first tithe as a couple. She was all excited about this would be the first time they tithe together as a couple this Sunday. And he was, she couldn't wait to get in and, and tithe, you know, their first tithe and everything. She was actually genuinely excited about giving her resources to God. This is the first time we can do it together, not just as individuals, but we're going to tithe as a couple. It was like this big, exciting Sunday that she could come in and they could do that together. Now, to some of us, getting excited about giving is kind of a contradiction in terms. I mean, the idea of, okay, well, I'm talking about getting excited, fired up, this is fun, this is great, and giving, they're two different things, okay? They're, they're just, in your mind, there's like the right side of your brain, the left side of your brain, one side's like excited about all the things you like to do, the other side thinks about giving. But there's an excitement in people's hearts who, who think about it and who understand the word of God. And they're saying, oh, let's mix these two things together. But for some people, it's a contradiction in terms. For my friend Anne Marie, most of you in this church who give are being duped. You're being duped. She uses the word controlled. You know, I, I, not, and I don't think she point the finger at me, but in general in church, you're, you're being controlled by the idea of fear of going to hell or the joy of going to heaven. And, and, and that's, how, that's how people like us, me and others like me, she didn't say me specifically, but in general, that's how they get you to, to, to give up what you, you're, you're giving. It's like, you know, it's, it, it's senseless. I mean, think about it. Why would anyone else give up their money unless someone like me a pa- manipulated them to do it or gave them, they were afraid that they, if they didn't do this, they would, then they would go to hell or they were afraid or they were exci- so excited about the idea of heaven that why else would someone give like that? It's basically senseless. I mean, listen to these knuckleheads. Wait, let me read this again. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Madness. Sheer madness. I mean, you know, these people were like, I mean, you couldn't, they were probably beating them off with a stick. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. I don't want any more of your money. I mean, this is what the, this is what the word of God is saying. These, and these are poor folks, and they're just like pleading. They want to, to participate. They're eagerly, eagerly anticipating the opportunity that they get to give. I mean, stuff like that for people outside of the church who don't know Christ, that's kind of senseless. It's got to be. It's got to be something else other than what I just described, and it must be the fact that I'm, you know, you guys don't know it, but I, 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 I do have, a, there's a subliminal message that come up on the screens here when I'm preaching. You just don't see it, you know what I mean? It's like, give, give, you know what I mean? Give to Grace Chapel. You don't know that, but that's the only way we can gu- get you guys to give. We subliminally have messages, and I, I sneak in things every once in a while you don't realize. I read this story this week about a little boy who's about to go outside of his house, and before he left, his mom said, be good, dear, and have fun. And, and, his mom, and, and he said back to his mom, well, mom, make up your mind. Make up your mind. You know what I mean? Because in, in, to him, 
being good and having fun were just two different things. They were incompatible. And that's the way some of us react when it comes to the idea of giving. You know what I mean? We have this, this different. There's two, those two words just don't seem to go together. They don't seem to go together. In fact, many of us definitely, definitely, definitely do not enjoy giving. And you're Christians, okay? And you do not enjoy giving. Many are like Anne-Marie, skeptical of the people who are asking and so the last thing that you really want to hear is me talking about giving from the pulpit. Because, you, because so many people are so skeptical about it. The last thing you want to hear, that, I mean, for some, sitting, sitting down right now and listening to me talking about giving is, is, is kind of akin to having a root canal. You know what I'm saying? You come to church maybe for the first time or you haven't come in a while and you're like, see, you see. All they do is talk about money. I can't remember the last time we preached a sermon on money, but see, that's what they do here. They, all they do is talk about money. It's like, it's like having a root canal. It's like, do you want to go to church and listen to the pastor talk about money or get poked in the eye? Uh, poked in the eye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like that's what people think. That's the way, and I'm telling you, that's the way some Christians think. You know, other, top, other topics irritate us or even convict us but no other biblical teaching causes us so much displeasure and resentment than the idea, than the topic of stewardship. It really, it's absolutely amazing. I think most people would rather hear a sermon on hell than on giving. That's just the way it is, That's, and, and, it's, and it's wrong. It is wrong, especially for us. It's wrong. Now, why does talking about giving in the church have such a negative connotation? Why is it so uncomfortable? Why is, there such, is, such an, why is it such an unpopular subject for us to deal with? Well, let's, uh, honestly, if, uh, one of the reasons is because the topic has been so misused. It's, it's been so abused. Let's be honest, okay? Anne-Marie does have a point. She does have a point. I'm, I, don't agree with, I, I don't agree with her why she's saying it, but she at least can look in the, wor in the world and she does have a point. I mean, if you, there, if you look at TV evangelists sometimes, it, seem, it seems like, which is not totally true, it seems like they're always asking for money. And who can forget? Which of us can forget the 1980s with the PTL scandal, the money scandal? Now, here's the reality, guys. If you're going to look, if you're going to look for abuse, you will certainly find it. If you're looking for abuse, you're going to find it. Let's be honest. We're talking about money. Okay, when you're talking about money, I don't care what organization, the government, the church, whatever, any, whatever you want. If you're talking about money, if you're looking for abuse, okay, you're going to find it. I don't think you'll find it here at Grace Chapel. But if you're looking for abu abuse in general in the church, quote, in general, you're going to find it. But I, I find something else to be totally amazing, too, when it comes to critics. Why do they make the exception the rule? Think about that. Christians, you know, all the Christians, you know, all the atrocities we talked about last week in the church, 2% of all the atrocities committed, but that becomes the rule. Oh, all these people are always asking for money, okay, so these, and, and, they're, and they're misusing the money and blah, blah. How many churches, honestly, how many churches, Christian organizations are misusing, are the pastors running off with the money or something? I mean, it, it's like the exception, people, some, someone's bad behavior becomes the, the exception, becomes the rule. That is the way they are. That's just, that's just not true. 
the rule is that most churches and most organizations handle the money very well. They're, and they're, they're kept within strict guidelines by their boards and by their elders and things like that. So why is it always, by the critics, the exception becomes the rule? I just, I just throw that question out. If we're being honest with ourselves, if we say, you know, we, I would say another reason that we don't like this idea of giving or even talking about it is because we love our money. Okay? We're fond of our funds. And we don't really, I mean, the idea of giving those funds up does not bring about joyful, you know, excitement in your mind because we love money. Some people love money almost as much as I love God kind of thing. So the idea of giving the money that they love so much, that's another reason that people don't want to hear about it. If I'm being honest on the one side, let's be honest on the other side. One of the reasons that people don't like to hear about it is because they don't like to give. It's a painful experience because they absolutely love their money. So the question is, why do we talk about it first? Because the subject of giving is a, it has a central place in the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. The Bible, the Bible talks about giving or stewardship 1,565 times. Okay, Jesus talked more about stewardship and giving than any other subject. We're talking heaven, hell, second coming, salvation. He talked about that more than all those other things. So it's a central theme in the word of God. And for good reason, for good reason, because it's one of the things that hold us back. It holds us back from truly becoming the people of God that we were created to be. A second reason that we, we, uh, we, um, we, we deal with the subject is because when we give, we receive the blessings of God. When we as a church, when we as the body of Christ really give, when we start to give the way the Bible describes that we should give, you see a blessing beyond your wildest imagination. That's another reason we should talk about it. In, in one of our texts today, Paul says this. He reminds us that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if we sow sparingly, then we're going to reap sparingly. You know what I mean? If we're going to put in, if you put in nothing, you're going to get pretty much nothing out. So we're going to talk about this because it's important from a biblical standpoint. Because God says, you know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're also going to reap generously. In other words, when, when we give financially to, to God... We can expect, I mean, we can expect and experience God's supernatural power in our lives. We can expect that from God. We're going to experience that from God. He, he, he will respond to our giving by giving back to us in every area of our lives, not just financially, which it includes. The Bible is really clear that if you give, he's going to give back to you. But that's not really the only reason that, that, that we should give, obviously, because God will intervene in our lives in creative and miraculous ways when we step out in faith and we give. You know one of the reasons why? Because God's not stupid. He knows how difficult it is for us as human beings, especially when we have to give. It's difficult because we don't want... When I first became a Christian, the most difficult thing for me to do was give. It was really, really hard. I grew up poor. So when I started getting something, I didn't want to give it away to anything or anyone. It took me years to grow spiritually and realize, wait a second, there's some things that happen when I give. There's some, there's some supernatural dynamic things that go on in my life that don't otherwise, and you grow spiritually, and God does some miraculous things, and all of a sudden your mind begins to change. It begins to change. So God moves in our lives when we give. God does supernatural things in our lives 
both financially and otherwise. And I'd say the otherwise is what you should focus on. I don't like the idea, hey, hey, this morning, if you give $10, God will give you 100 back. If you give 100, God will give you 1,000. If you give 1,000, God will give you 10,000. I've heard that. That is ridiculous. What on earth? That sounds like gambling to me. It sounds like, you know, that doesn't even sound like giving from the heart. It sounds like uh, it's some, kind of, some kind of pyramid scheme. For, you know, with God, you know what I mean? Oh, if I give him 1,000, I'm going to wait for my 10,000. You know what I mean? What on earth? Give a thousand, don't worry about what you get back. Let God do what God's going to do. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus promised this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. My Christian life is boring. I don't see God moving. In Philippians 4, 17, Paul is writing a, a letter to the church in Philippi, and he's thanking them for the gift that they had given. And he says this, not that I am looking for a gift. Listen to what he says, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Paul's good, okay? Paul's good. Obviously, he needs resources. People want to give. They're excited about giving. But he says, you know, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. You know, believe it or not, believe it or not, some pastors, believe it or not, actually want you to give, not because their salaries are going to go up, not because they're going to get a bigger car, not because they get a bigger house, not because they win a bigger whatever and they get a flat screen TV hanging in their office or something like that. Some pastors actually believe what this says, and that is true. Not that, I'm looking, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. You know what's so much better than having a big flat screen TV in your office or a bigger car or whatever else. It's watching people grow spiritually and watching something dynamic happen in their lives that has never happened before and having them come and say, this is incredible. I, can't. I sat in my office this week with someone who's growing spiritually and they were like, no, I'm, I'm finally getting what you're saying all these years. They, they're investing their lives in God. They're not giving, and I'm not talking about what they're giving. I'm talking investing their lives, and they're seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, and they're saying, I never really got it until now. And boy, you are right. And that's what I want to see in everyone's life. Paul says here that the giver benefits more than the one who's receiving. They benefit more. The giver benefits more because the giver experiences the blessings of God, Okay. The giver is the one who experiences. And people could say, well, see, there you go. You're just, you're trying to get people to give because you're promising them something. You're darn right I'm promising you something. I'm promising you the truth of God's word. And God's word says if we live this way, if we give from our hearts, not just our money, but our lives, dynamic things are going to happen. I'm telling you it's the truth. It happens to me all the time. God does incredible things in my life all the time. I try to share that with people sometimes. And, you know, sometimes Anne-Marie, I love her to death, but she'll just call it luck. It's luck. She says, I'm the most fortunate person. I'm so fortunate. You're right. I am fortunate, but I'm fortunate over and over and over and over and over again. I don't live in the biggest house, and I don't drive the biggest car, and I don't have a flat screen TV in my office, but I'm telling you something. Not a week goes by that usually I'm not sitting in my office or laying flat on my face saying, holy mackerel, that's amazing. I can't believe that just happened. This is incredible. This is amazing. Spiritual things happening in our lives. That's what I want for every single person in this church. This is what the Bible is talking about. 
See, many people outside the church don't understand these truths, and many people inside the church don't understand these truths either, and that's really, that's really a shame. But in the interest of fairness, I'm going to go back to the interest of fairness, okay? We ask, why don't people give? Why don't people want to give? And a lot of people don't want to give. And one of the reasons that people don't want to give is because a lot of people don't really give a rip about other people and what they're going through and their suffering. They don't care if people are suffering. They don't care if people are hurting. They don't care about what other people need. They don't care about the needs of others. Well, so let's just be honest. I'm being fair on the one side. You know, we got people like PTL and all this kind of stuff, and there's some things that happen. But you know what? Some of the reasons that people don't want to give is because they could really care less about the needs of others. Pointing the finger at abuse is hiding sometimes a good way to hide behind your greed and selfishness. I, it's so much easier to say, you know what, I'm not giving one penny because about 10 years ago, I was watching this organization, the Red Cross or whatever else, you can pick any organization you want, and their president took all this money and he was getting paid off. I'm not giving a penny. And you know, sometimes you can point finger at abuse so you can hide behind your own greed and your own selfishness. I wouldn't say that about my friend Anne Marie, but I'll say that about a lot of other people that I've met. Just being straight up, just being fair and honest. Fair and balanced, my friends, here it comes, okay? Some people don't like the idea of giving because they're greedy and they're selfish. Some people feel, they feel so defensive when someone gets up and starts talking about giving. They get so defensive. But I can guarantee you that the feelings that some people have when I talk about giving pale in comparison to how Jesus feels when people are so selfish and greedy, when they know that there are children and people around the world who are starving and dying every single day. I can guarantee your feelings about having someone bring up the idea of money in church pales in comparison to how God feels when his people or any people are greedy and selfish when they know, when they absolutely know, they see it, they hear about it, they, they experience it, and they give absolutely nothing to remedy anything that's going on in the world today. I know it works people up, but you know what? I'm sure God gets worked up as well. Yeah, this goes out to all the critics, just all the critics. Anybody hears my voice on the, uh, the CD or whatever else? Exactly what is your plan for helping the poor and needy? I'd love to hear it. You don't want to give anything. You think everybody else is whatever else, but what? I, I, fine, that's wonderful. My, my black and white Jeff Greer mind then says this. What is your plan to help people who are poor and needy? What is your plan to make a difference in the world? What is your plan to invest in the lives of people who truly, really need it? There's a lot of needy people out there. A lot of crooks, a lot of people that you give to that don't deserve it. That's fine. That's another excuse for why we shouldn't give. But what is your plan for giving to those people who do need it? I, I seriously love to get a phone call. love to hear it. Give me an email about your elaborate plan of how we're going to invest in the lives of people who so desperately need it without giving anything. A third reason to deal with the subject is because we as a local body of Christ will experience spiritual growth, spiritual growth and unity when we give. We're going to experience that as a church. The Bible says that we, we get, if, if you truly want to get pleasure out of giving, then you need to give so much that, it, that, it, that you have to trust God in order to do it. That's what the Bible's saying. So I'm kicking it up a notch. The Bible's saying you want to really get excited. You want to really have some fun. The Bible says give Give so much that you have to trust in God in order to give that money. C.S. Lewis once said this, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not, all, do not, do not at all pinch or hamper us, we should say that they are too small. 
Paul said that sacrificial giving, the sacrificial giving of the Macedonian churches welled up in, in, in total excitement. They were, they were excited. They had great joy. Remember the words of verse 2. It says this, out of their, out of their most severe trial, their extreme poverty, their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. Rich generosity. In fact, they have learned this lesson that I'm trying to teach you and myself. They have learned this lesson so well that giving is fun. That giving, you know, I'm going I'm to say the word giving. You all get fired up for a second. Giving. Yeah. Woohoo! Now, half of you are like, <clears throat> okay. Giving. Yeah. Yay! That was still lame, but I'll take it. All right. They, were, they had learned this lesson so well that it was so, it was so much fun to give that says this, that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They had learned the lesson so well, that's what they were urgently pleading. Please let me get up right now and go over here. Please let me write this. Urgently pleading. They wanted to be involved because they could see the movement of God. They can see something happening. These impoverished believers had discovered that it's fun to give. It's fun to sacrificially give. They had learned this lesson because when they did, they experienced God in a unique way. They experienced God in a dynamic way. And as they gave and God moved, and as they gave and God moved, they gave and God moved, they were like, oh, we wanna, come on, we, what, what, what are we doing next, Paul? What are we doing? What can we give to? What, what, what can we be involved in? Because this other experience was so amazing. The high was so incredible that we are looking for the opportunity. We, we're, we're urgently pleading with you to give. See, when we, when we give to meet the needs of others, we, he lovingly provides for our own needs. When we give to other people, God promises to provide for us. God promises to do immeasurably more. God promises all these things. And it's fun. It is fun. It is exciting. It, is, it makes you laugh. It makes you smile. It is fun to do because when you wait and see what God's going to do, I'm going to do something dynamic and then I'm going to step back and wait for God to move. I want to see what's actually going to happen. My friends, that is just fun to see. I read a story that really spoke to my heart when I was writing this sermon. I'm going to read it to you. It says, a very wealthy man once stood before his congregation to challenge the people to tithe. He shared his testimony saying, I have not always been a rich man. In fact, there was a time when I was very poor. A number of years ago, I attended a church service and heard the preacher speak about trusting God with all that you have. I had only $20 to my name and it was in my pocket. That morning, I decided to take God at his word and I put the $20 in the offering plate and I walked away from church putting all of my trust in God. He concluded by saying, if I were to put all my money in the collection plate today, it would be over, well over a million dollars. With those dramatic words, he sat down. An elderly, elderly lady in the church was sitting behind him, and when he sat down, she leaned forward and whispered in his ear loud enough for everyone to hear, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> and when I read that for the first time, I did exactly what you did. But then something happened to me. I'm sitting at my desk. First, I laughed, and then I started to get that lump in my throat and started to get kind of emotional because I, I didn't need to hear the end of the story to realize that that guy, most likely 99% of the chance, did not, put, did not do it again. I didn't need to hear the story to realize he didn't do it. I sat at my desk thinking to myself, thinking about this story and about, I dare you to do it again. 
And then I started meditating on Micah chapter 3, and it says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Listen to what he says. Trust me. I was meditating on this. Trust me. The only time he says this in the Bible. Test me in this and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing until it overflows. Those words, I dare you to do it again, started ringing in my heart and ringing in my mind. I dare you to do it again. You see, I want to trust God. I really do. I want to trust God. I want to experience the joy, peace, and contentment that only God can offer, that money can't offer. I want to see, I I don't know about you, but I want to see the windows of heaven opened up, and I want to see poured out on my life, overflowing blessings on my life and on my family's life and on my church's life. I want to see that. I want to experience that. I want to trust God with all that I have. I want to trust God with all that I am. And and I could stand here, my friends, for another 15 minutes and tell you story after story about people who gave and sacrificed and motivate and try to motivate and inspire you to truly understand what I'm I'm saying. The blessings that will come if we do this. But you have heard pastors talk about giving for years. And you have, you, have, you, have, you, have been, you have been asked to give sacrificially over and over by better speakers than me who tell you the benefits and the joys of what you will experience when you give. But the time for words is really over. The time for words is over. If, if we're going to be the kind of church that I, in my heart, desire us to be, then the time for words is over. As I sat at my desk, I thought to myself, if God is God and we can trust his promises... Then, then we need to step out in faith. If, we can, if God is God and we can trust his promises, then I can, as your pa- I can trust him with my life. And I can certainly trust him with my money. A few years ago, when Deb and I first moved to Cincinnati, we bought a piece of land in Lebanon. And we, were, we bought the land to use for our retirement. And uh, it, we had it. It was a beautiful piece of land on Hart Road in Lebanon. But then something happened years later. We, we, were, we, we were praying about starting Grace Chapel. And we decided to start Grace Chapel. And we, we didn't have any money. You know, insurance was going to run out. We, we felt stepping out in faith. We wanted to do this. And so we sold the land in Lebanon. We stepped out. We sold that land. We sold our retirement. And we, we instead started Grace Chapel, pr- hoping and praying that God would provide for us in the future. And God has provided for us in many, many ways. W- when I read the story about the man giving the $20 and... Again, I, 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 I laughed at first, but then I really, honestly, I cried because I wondered if I would have enough faith to do it again. Would, would I, would I personally have enough faith to do that again? Give our retirement money to God and trust that he would provide for us in the future. I was 37 years old when I did that the first time. I'm 47 years old now. It's kind of a big difference between 37 and 47 when you make those kinds of decisions. But I talked to Deb, and we both agreed. We both agreed. We want to see God, honestly, we want to see God open the windows of heaven in our lives and in the lives of our people of our church. We want to experience his blessing, a blessing that overflows, that is overflowing in our lives and in our church. We want to see that blessing come and overflow. We want to live the kind of spiritual life, honestly, that, that no one's money can buy. 
I want to experience the kind of Christian life that money cannot buy. I want to experience the joy of the Macedonian church where, where they, could, they stepped out in faith and they lived their lives with, 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 with that kind of faith. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clearly as day and said, I dare you to do it again. That's what, was, that's what really got me choked up and kind of got me sitting at my desk mulling over Micah chapter 3. Because it was, it was speaking to me. The story was funny, and then all of a sudden it started speaking to me. I dare you to do it again. And so I talked to Deb, and she agreed, and that's what we decided to do. We're giving retirement money again. We're going to give it again, and we're going to trust God for our future. We are going to trust God for our, our future. You know, when I write these sermons, I say this over and over again. I write them to myself first, and then I write them to you. I want them to speak to me first, and then I want them to speak to you. So that's a decision that we made. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I am asking you not to, I am not, I am not asking anyone here to give their retirement money at all, to the, this church or anywhere else. That's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this morning. What I'm encouraging you to do is to live your life without fear, to give without fear. There are some people right here this morning, let's lay money aside this morning, there are some people right here that God has been speaking to you about stepping out and doing something dynamic or radical, but you haven't done it because of fear. You haven't done it because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And my encouragement to you is don't fear the future. Don't fear what you choose to give. Don't fear how you choose to live your life. Live the life that God has called you to live. Live that dynamic life. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you that if, if, if our God is faithful, and he is, that sometimes it is not until we open up our hands and open up our hearts that we are going to see the full measure of his blessing. Until we lay our lives on the line for him and say, Lord, I give it all to you. I give my life to you that we see the true measure of his blessing. You know, I'll tell you, there are a few jerk religious people out there. There are a few jerk religious guys out there, but most pastors believe the Bible. Most pastors want to experience the truth of God's word, and they want their, they want their bodies, they want their, their churches to experience it right along with them. That's why they do what they do. Of course you're going to find some jerk religious guys out there, but I'm telling you, most pastors want to see and experience God for themselves in dynamic ways, and they want the same thing for their church, and their motives in, in, in wanting that are pure. Now, I want to be honest with you. Me giving this, our, my family, Debbie and I giving this, has absolutely nothing to do with the series, and has absolutely nothing to do with Anne-Marie. We decided to do this in June when we were going through Summer to Serve, and I was saying to you, I said to you week after week, what, are, what unorthodox, radical thing are you willing to do? What, what, what crazy thing are you willing to do in your spiritual lives? That's when we decided to do it. That's when we decided to do it. When I said, what decision are you, what radical and orthodox or, or crazy decision are you willing to make? That's when we made this decision. Together with you. And I have seen God move in powerful 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 ways so it wasn't it had nothing to do with this with this series but i will say this it will change the skeptic's mind my friends it will change the skeptic's minds when we start to live out the faith that we profess it will change it will radically change the people around you 
when you begin to truly live out the faith, the faith that you profess, when we truly love Jesus Christ more than our stuff, when we truly love Jesus Christ more than our own lives, we will see transformation. Now, let me close by saying this. I know that some of you really, really, really have a heart to give. You do. You do. You want to give, but you know what? You're in debt. You are in debt, and you are struggling, and you are really hurting. And this economy has been killing you. It's just been killing you. So what I want to offer you this morning is we are going to do a class. We're going to do a, 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 a financial class starting October the 29th, Thursday, October the 29th. It's in your bulletin, so you have your bulletin. You can see all the information there. But we're going to do this class October the 29th, and the goal there is to help you get out of debt, to help you move out of debt and to get those things behind you and put yourself in a strong position because unless you're in that position, then you will never, you will never get to experience what I talked about this morning. You will never truly experience what the word of God says. This excitement, this dynamic opportunity that we have to give of ourselves, to give of our resources, and to see the movement of God in our lives. So I want to offer that to you this morning. I want to offer you that class. I'm not going to be teaching it, so don't worry. You can come. It's, it's different people will be teaching it. But offer that class on October the 29th to help you with your resources. So if you would, just call the church office this week. Let people, let them know. Let, you know, Andrea in the office or anyone else, let them know that you want to be a part of that class and you, we can sign you up. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. And God, we just pray right now that you would move in each one of our lives. Lord, there are areas of our lives where we're holding back because of fear. And it's not just money, Lord God. It's other areas of our life. And maybe money has a part of it. Maybe the reason we won't step out in faith and do what you're calling us to do and fulfill that dream that you have for us because we're afraid that we're not going to be taken care of financially. Lord God, I pray that you would lay that to rest in people's hearts and minds. That we would truly, truly, Lord God, experience the power of your resurrection. That we would truly experience the, the, the blessing and the promises of your word. As we step out in faith and live the kind of dynamic life that you've called us to live. Father, that's what I want for my own life. That's what I want for my family. And God, you know that's what I want for this church that we would see things that we had never experienced before in the next 10 years because we are willing to step out in faith and live it and truly live our faith. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.